helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. of people today talking about artificial intelligence. Some of it seems more science fiction, while other more science fact. While AI can be a powerful tool, it is just that, a tool. The question we should be asking is, how will we use that tool? Humanity has a long history of both using and abusing tools. The very same fire that can warm your home and cook your food can also be used to burn a supposed witch or destroy property. The firearm that catches your dinner can kill your neighbor, and the nuclear reaction that can power whole cities can also destroy them. This concern about the abuse of artificial intelligence is leading some to call for government to regulate it, as if government has a glorious track record regulating new technologies. Now, will the American people blindly follow this new technology? Will our growing dependence on artificial intelligence lead to an artificial truth? If the truth will set you free, what will an artificial truth do? Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution. I teach a rising generation to be free. I'm so glad you could join me today. You know, again, artificial intelligence has been in the news a lot lately. And as most of you know, I spent 30 years in IT, most of it working in data centers. I'm not an expert, but I've been around this for quite a while. And, uh, you know, with the release of ChatGPT and what we've seen, I'm seeing a, a lot of comments, commentary, people making bold assertions as if they know that are just not based in the reality of the technology, at least as far as I understand it today. Now, one of the interesting side effects, which I actually wrote an article on that I want to talk about, is the question of the of rights for artificial intelligences it really did come up and well i think it's worth looking at so let's let's dive in now again i say there's a lot of confusion about artificial intelligence i think some people when they hear artificial intelligence they're thinking terminator matrix you know something along that lines way beyond what uh, uh what we actually have in artificial intelligence today and I personally do not believe in this so-called uh, singularity, the point at which an artificial intelligence actually grain, gains sentience, but that's as much uh, uh, philosophy as it is technology. Now, as I said, I'm not an expert on the current state of artificial intelligence, but I've been around AI systems long enough and their implementation to hit a basic understanding. So let's start with that. Now, today's AI systems are, in general, sophisticated pattern matching software. Now, what differentiates them from other types of software is their ability to, quote-unquote, infer a conclusion. For example, if you create a standard pattern matching algorithm designed to identify dogs in photographs, it can only match a picture of a dog it has actually been programmed with. Sure, it might be able to look at different angles, but it's not going to infer, you know, if you have two types of dogs that are are that, that are different, it's not going to recognize them as, as a match. However, an AI system is designed to perform the same task, but it will compare pictures that it has been trained with, and it will tend to infer if this is a dog. 
Yes, it's a different color. Yes, it's a different shape, but it's close enough that I give that that I can pretty much that the AI will say yes. I'm pretty sure this is a dog. Now, the process of adding those known dog images to an AI database is known as training. Uh, basically, you give it a situation, you tell it, this is what I'm looking for, right? Here's a picture of a dog. See this? That's a dog. Here's another picture of a dog. And then eventually you get to the point where you're saying, here's a picture. Is there a dog in it? And you correct its answer. Uh, and eventually, by using this, it develops a, a data set by which it can infer what a dog is. Now, now, it's important to recognize an AI does not have an innate understanding of what a dog is. A human being looks at an animal and says, yeah, that's a dog. It, it, AIs don't have that. They've been trained a certain way. By the way, this is how ChatGPT, Siri, Google Assistant, these all work this, pretty much the same way. They just do it with words rather than images. Now, if we it looks at things that what you've typed or, or the spoken word, it compares it to its database to infer what it is you're asking for. Then it searches for what it thinks you want and returns it to you, whether that be sports scores or tell it to play a song or, well, compiling data, data for your latest term paper. Now, with that in mind, I want to take a look at a recent, this recent case, Thaler versus Pullmutter. See, this is a case with a man, a computer, and a piece of art. Uh, reading from the from the uh, opinion, uh, plaintiff Stephen Thaler owns a computer system he calls Creativity Machine, which he claims generated a piece of visual art of its own accord. He sought to register the work of a, for a copyright listing the computer system as the author and explained that the copyright should transfer to him as the owner of the machine. Now, I, I want you to realize that what the important issue is. Mr. Thaler, he's, he's claiming that... that um, the issue isn't that Mr. Thaler wants a copyright. It's that he wants the computer to be listed as the author. I find this to be a quite dubious claim since, well, the first thing he wants to do is transfer the copyright to him. So, I, and I, by the way, I'm not the only one suspicious of Mr. Thaler's copyright claim. Again, from the opinion, the Copyright Office denied the application on the grounds that the work lacked human authorship, a prerequisite for a valid copyright to issue in the view of the Register of Copyrights. Now, Shira Pullmutter is the Register of Copyrights and Director of the United States Copyright Office. She is the one who ultimately denied Mr. Thaler's application for one simple reason. Listing the computer system creativity machine as the author would mean there was no human authorship, thereby making the application invalid. Now, this to me is the crux of the matter. Do computer systems have property rights? See, to properly analyze the question, we have to understand what property is. James Madison wrote an essay for the National Gazette back in 1792 about property, where he said, This term in its particular application means that dominion which one man claims and exercises over the external things of the world, in exclusion of every other individual. In its larger and juster meaning, it embraces everything to which a man may attach a value and have a right, and which leaves to everyone else the like advantage. So, property is that which someone has dominion over. Mr. Madison specifically refers to a man here, but I want to discuss that later in, in, the, in the episode. So can a computer system hold dominion and exercise control over external things? Well, in some cases, yes, but in the case of a piece of art, no. 
So even if creativity machine had the ability to interact with external things, it cannot hold dominion over them since it is owned by Mr. Thaler. Which brings us to the question of free will. Back to um, James Madison's essay on property, we read, He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties and free choice of the objects on which to employ them. See, Creativity Machine did not have free use of its faculties. It was programmed to make visual art. It did not have a free choice of what to create. It was instructed to create a picture. So by all aspects of Mr. Madison's words, the art in question was not the property of Creative Machine. Rather, it was the property of Mr. Thaler. This is confirmed by Mr. Thaler's own application for copyright, since he claimed the copyright should transfer to him as the owner of the machine. Okay, next let's take a look at the question of copyright. In Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 of the Constitution, Congress has delegated the power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing to, for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. See, Congress can make laws granting authors exclusive rights to their writings. Is Creative Machine an author? Well, the copyright law, which is Title 17 of the United States Code, does not define the word author. So let's take a look at a couple of other sources. Starting with Webster's 1828 Dictionary, an author is one who produces, creates, or brings into being. Now, Creativity Machine did produce the art. Does that make it the author? If the author is one who produces, we need to look at the definition of one in this context. Again, Webster's 1828 Dictionary says one is, a, is, used, is used indefinitely for any person. Now, the modern, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online says one used as a third-person substitute for a first-person pronoun. Now, since one in this context is a pronoun used for a person, Creativity Machine is not an author because it's not a person. The court came to a similar conclusion, although by a much longer route. Again, quoting, we read, The 1976 Act's authorship requirement as presumptively being human rests on centuries of settled understanding. Now, the blurring of the lines between man and machine-made products will most definitely lead to future confusion. Again, from the decision, Undoubtedly, we are approaching new frontiers in copyright as artists put AI in their toolbox to be used in the generation of new visual and other artistic works. The increased attenuation of human creativity from the actual generation of the final work will prompt challenging questions regarding how much human input is necessary to qualify the user of an AI system as an author of a generated work. The scope of the protection obtained over the resultant image, how to assess the originality of AI-generated works where the systems may have been trained to unknown pre-existing works, how copyright might best be used to incentivize works involving AI and more. However, there does appear to be some questionable aspects to Mr. Thaler's claim. Again, quoting we re from the uh, decision, This case, however, is not nearly so complex. See, while plaintiff attempts to transform the issue presented here by asserting new facts that he provided instructions and directed his AI to create the work, that the AI entirely controlled by him, and that the AI only operates at his, at his direction, implying that he played a controlling role in generating the work. These statements directly contradict the administrative record. Here, plaintiff before the register that the work was created autonomously by machine and that his claim to the copyright was only based on the fact of his ownership of the machine. Now, it should be obvious to everyone that we are heading into a brave new world. 
one where machines will act more and more autonomously, thereby decreasing human involvement. Now, while this may be a tremendous boon to productivity, it also raises some serious concerns. This case involves the question of authorship and whether a computer system had the right to own and control its creations. Today, in this court and in this case, the answer is no. This case, however, does bring into light a potential issue. What happens if one day a court decides that an author does not need to be human? Could an AI own, as property, the copyright for more than just a work of art? Could a machine hold the patent for a drug or vaccine? Could an AI develop and therefore own a DNA sequence? Would it then own whatever that sequence is, be it a, a virus, cattle, or even a human? Congress has the power to protect the works of authors and inventors. As we enter this brave new world, perhaps we should make sure our employees in that body protect we the people by defining what an author is in the law. And that really was the, the, the point at which I, I realized, do I really want to put government in charge of regulating AIs? Again, I have a, an inherent distrust of government, I believe justly earned by years and decades of watching basically government mismatch all of its regulation. But there's another piece of this puzzle I want to bring to your attention. That is the bias of AIs and the bias of all computer systems. We've talked at length about the models used to predict the, the climate disasters that are driving the climate change agenda, but they, we also talk a lot about their biases, uh, about how they don't work, they don't match reality. When we're dealing with the question of, of uh, artificial intelligences, what else is beyond there? When we're not dealing with something you can fact check as easily as looking out the window. Uh, David Rosado did an interesting uh, 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 paper. It's on uh, Substack, where uh, at multiple occasions he has tested the biases of ChatGPT. Uh, guess what? ChatGPT almost always, on all the different tests, ends up being politically left, tends to run a little, tends to run libertarian, but it always ends up in this very liberal socialist party, communist party realm in its, in its biases. Now, why is that important? Well, if we start using chat GPT to put together more than just term papers, what happens if it starts being used to put together legislation? Will that legislation be just as biased towards the, the political left? The evidence is clear that, um, when looking at things like like science data, uh, the G chat GPT leans politically left uh, by uh, a, a large margin, not as much economically, but still leans, leans left. Are we going to allow these machines to start writing legislation? And are we going to let the people who are inherently political regulate these artificial intelligences in which case they're more than likely to put in their own biases into that process. Now, if you like that, that article that I was read, that I was talking about, and you want to find the details, you want to get all the quotes, well, just go to the website, constitutionstudy.com, and you'll find out more. We're in the middle of a refresh. So if things are a little different, I, I apologize, but we're, I'm working hard to bring you a new website for the Constitution Study, one that I hope you will enjoy has features like a, a news feed, lists of the radio episodes, and my interviews, and others. 
If you have suggestions, I'd love to hear them. The Ask a Question button is still there. The chance to sign up for the mailing list is still there. The ability to donate is still there. Just check it out at constitutionstudy.com. Now, we talk about biases. We talk about artificial information. A lot of people did a lot of things that maybe they're, they're, they're not so happy about. Um, they, maybe they got the jab. Maybe they got COVID. Maybe they're dealing with, with other things, and they're trying to figure out what to do. They're looking for something to help them with that, that nasty spike protein that is so toxic to the human body. Well, the wellness company has a product that might help. It's called Spike Support. And it's for anybody that's concerned about the spike protein, whether you've been vaccinated or not. It's designed to be taken um, as, a, as a protection, to protect against the effects of the vaccine, of, of virus shedding, and of COVID. And it's a revolutionary set of, of ingredients designed to block and dissolve the spike protein itself. Now, this product has been vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off of products from the wellness company and off your first month of membership. Just use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. You can find out more and all the details at americaoutloud.shop. But please, check out the wellness company, check out Spike Support or any of their products. But if you purchase, please use that code OUTLOUD when you check out. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud and you get 25% off of products and off your first month membership. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. 
We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. And today, what we're talking about artificial intelligence, and the, really the question is artificial truth. Uh, the first segment I focused mostly on the court case, questioning whether or not artificial intelligence programs could hold copyright. By the way, the answer was no. Now, I want to look at some other examples of, of artificial intelligence, how it may impact our lives, and this question of artificial truth. As I've already pointed out, things like, you know, we're familiar with chat GPT, but, but um, home assistants like uh, Siri, Alexa, Google Home, these all also use a form of artificial intelligence. And there are different types of artificial intelligences that do different things. But um, one of the ones you may not be thinking about is facial recognition. We've probably seen it in the TV shows, right? The uh, They get a picture of the suspect and they feed it into the, their facial recognition system, which goes through and maps out the face and tries to see if there's a, a record in the database. And uh, it can it doesn't have to be a perfect match with the photo. That's because artificial intelligence is inferring information based on the structure of the face rather than the real face. Many of you may have uh, phones that actually authenticate you to the phone via your face. There's a camera on the front. You pick up the phone and you look at it. The camera's constantly looking. It takes a picture of your face. It compares it to its um, known users. It says, okay, yes, the points we're looking for match. And voila, it opens. Uh, I, I, I've i never actually tested one to see how good it is. Does it uh, recognize, you know, is it is it impacted by the growth of a beard in men or the use of makeup in women? I would hope not, but these, these are uh, AI-type algorithms that are doing some of this work. Now, this came to my attention because those of you not in the Nashville area may not realize you know, we've got the infamous boondoggle of uh, building a new football stadium. Uh, the Tennessee Titans made a deal. They 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 wanted a new uh, stadium. I think it's like two billion dollars are going to be spent on this new football stadium. And that's not my point. The Tennessee Titans just announced that they're going to be working with Verizon to use facial authentication to verify people's identity within the stadium. Now, according to the Biometrics Research Group. Uh, the facial recognition technology will be, will be used to identify a person using an image of the person's face before granting access uh, to the facility or redeeming a ticket. So this course brings up some interesting questions. Um, okay, so if you are an employee and you work at the stadium and you've got a badge with a photo on it, I mean, I've I've had many of these over my career. And usually you have to swipe the badge or hold the badge up to something to gain access. Now that picture, which is stored on the computer, will be compared to the camera looking at you as you approach the door. And if the face matches, it grants you access. But we're also talking about ticket redemption, which to me is an interesting question. Does that mean that, um, for, that means for this to function, 
the computer must associate your a picture of your face with a ticket. Does that mean when you buy a ticket to go to an event at the new stadium, you're going to have to provide a photo of your face in order to gain access? And, and what happens if, uh, let's say you're going to a game or a concert and, and suddenly you can't make it, so you, you give your ticket to a friend. Their face isn't going to match. So there are a lot of things to, to, to understand. Does, how far does this expand? Will the Titan Stadium, the new Titan Stadium, be covered in cameras watching everybody? Probably. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. But is this information going to be used for more than just uh, ticket redemptions? Sure, it could be used to uh, maybe tie to an account when, you, uh, when you're buying uh, uh, things at the concessions, right? You want that hot dog and a beer? Don't bring out your wallet. Don't bring out your credit card. Simply smile for the camera. Voila. Uh, you've paid for your uh, you've paid for your food. What about identifying, say, a list of uh, unpleasant people, people that uh, the 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 stadium maybe would not want in there? To a certain extent, there's a safety issue there, but uh, you know, a list of known terrorists. But then again, what does it take to get on some terrorist watch list? We've already seen people erroneously put on the terrorist watch list. Does that mean? It'll now impact going to a football game or a concert or something like that. I love technology, and I see a lot of, of good and useful purposes for artificial intelligence, including things like facial recognition. But they all come with a cost. The cost being, in this case, privacy. The, the, the recognition of now your face is forever tied to some piece of data in a computer somewhere that could be used for good and it could be used for ill. Well, just take a talk about Verizon, right? Verizon is providing the 5G uh, a network for the stadium that'll run, that'll be the backbone for all of this. But remember, it was the same Verizon, was it not, that uh, handed over data for people who were in the, in the capital? On January 6, 2020, whether or not they participated in the demonstration, must let much less enter the, the Capitol. That's because we all wear tracking devices on our on our person. They're called cell phones. What happens when it's not simply a tracking device? What happens when it's a, a facial recognition camera? Again, it could make life easier. I could see a lot of ways it could make life easier. I could see a lot of ways it could make life more difficult. Everything, you know, easier, everything from showing up to the front door with your hands full of, of groceries, looking at a camera and having the door unlock, make life easier. Or, or someone like my wife who has uh, a disability, maybe she's rolling up in a wheelchair and, um, you know, has some dexterity issues where using a traditional key might be a little difficult. I could see that as well. Wonderful use of that. But I could also see this data being scarfed up by government and used to identify people as political adversaries, kind of like they did for January 6th. Do you really want that in your future as well? And it gets a lot more dystopian from there. See, the U.S. Special Operations Command uh, is apparently purchasing a tool from Accrete AI. Now, Accrete describes this, this uh, product as a universally configurable, reliable, and accurate AI agents for decision automation. Uh, for those of you who, are not, who don't speak geek, it, it means that it 
it's designed to, to easily configure to identify using AI agents so that it'll automate the decision process. Now, what is U.S. Special Operations Command planning to, planning to or at least claiming to use this information for? Yeah, is to combat disinformation. Now, apparently this program was first designed to analyze social media data, what they call open source threats, meaning publicly available content that is perceived to be a threat and use that to predict what, will ha what may happen next. It's supposed to predict what they call an emergent narrative. And the clients receive uh, uh, something of an intelligence report produced based on this intelligence on what it thinks is going to happen, on a prediction of what is going to happen. Now, U.S. Special Operations Command is planning to deploy this tool to provide real-time prediction of disinformation threats from social media. Meaning, they're going to be the, the special operation is going to be scanning all the social media using an AI to identify or to predict disinformation. Now, I've already told you that AIs are trained. They're programmed. They, they, they're trained on what is and is not disinformation. The AI is not, I would doubt, that the AI is going to be looking and saying, well, see, here's a factual piece of data, um, therefore it's not disinformation. No, no, this is going to automate the suppression, the censorship of information based on AI. And again, it's one thing to say we're looking for potential physical threats, all right? Let's search, let's do a, a, an AI search looking for, you know, threats of attack, threats of, of um, uh, military coups, whatever. That's not what they're using this for. This is to automate censorship. There was a, a TV program out uh, several years ago, a uh, person of interest. I, my wife and I liked, well, we liked the first few years. It got a little weird at the end. But it was a very similar system. Someone had developed a system to scan all, you know, all sorts of information, camera images, social media, um, you name it. If it was a digital source, it would consume this. And based on that, predict, it was designed to predict the next 9-11. That was its purpose. However, it also predicted uh, more personal crimes. Crimes that, in this case, the government wasn't interested, and that was the premise of the program. If you're interested, you could probably find it. Again, it's called Person of Interest, uh, starring uh, Jim Caviezel. Uh, and uh, I like the, the first few years, but I'm wondering, do I want to live in a world where the U.S. military gets to decide what disinformation is and to look at everything I say on social media? I post regularly to social media. Are they going to look at that and say, well, you know, Paul, that's considered disinformation, but it's factually true. Oh, no, no, we're considering it disinformation. Then what is Special Operations Command going to do with it? I doubt we're going to see, uh, you know, I doubt we're going to see Navy SEALs or, or uh, Rangers or, you know, uh, uh, other special forces knocking down doors because someone posted something that this program, Argus Social, identified as disinformation. But is it really that far-fetched to say that this won't happen? We've already seen uh, uh, pro-life activists being targeted by the FBI. We've already seen 
uh, uh, you know, people um, who showed up on January 6th to question an election being targeted by the Department of Justice, is it really so far a fe- such a fetch to say that uh, this information won't be used against us? How many doctors have had their licenses threatened for providing medically accurate information that did not uh, comport with the current political agenda? Is that really, really what you want your future to be? Some AI program determining whether or not you're a good citizen by whether or not you meet the current political standard of information versus disinformation. Because it's also come to light that our infamous Department of Homeland Security, well, they've been using covert methods of, of communication and hosting meetings concerning misinformation. See, apparently what they've been doing is using, using tools like, like Slack and other uh, uh, op- open uh, connections, open communication methods, even personal cell phones, rather than official secured communication channels. Why are they doing this? Why go around the security system? Could it be that they don't want us to know about their um, their meetings concerning misinformation? Could it be this very same reason that uh, Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, had a personal email server so that her her um, she could protect this information from a uh, a FOIA request or other you know probing from the American people, the 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 group of deplorables? Could it be? It's certainly not beyond the, the a reasonable doubt based on what we have seen lately. So we have to wonder, as more and more uh, artificial intelligences are um, being used, and we have more unsecured communications, all in this focused attempt to control misinformation and disinformation, are, are we not heading to a, a future where freedom of speech is considered unconstitutional. It's considered illegal to, to speak anything because we have um, we've got uh, places like Titan Stadium where they're going to have cameras. They might even have microphones. We have uh, Special Operations Command scouring social media, looking at all of your your tweets and your reels and your whatever, looking to see hmm. Could this be someone spreading disinformation? And then we have the Department of Homeland Security saying, this is so important, we have to go outside of the normal channels to communicate this because the last thing we want is this to be recorded and and available to the American people through a FOIA request. And by doing so, actually putting it on unsecured networks, meaning that um, people that have really bad intentions for America could be looking at this and getting a, a plan of how to attack us and, and, and uh, uh, use this misinformation and disinformation, how to, how, how to actually implant it and how to, to get around our security systems, even our government accountability offices. Again, AI is a tool. And just as uh, the the nuclear reaction can be used to generate vast amounts of power and and, and electrify whole cities, it can be used to destroy them as well. 
just as the the fire you use to cook your food can be used to burn down your house the tool doesn't have a moral compass there is no morals in a tool it's what it's used for it's it's how the human uses it that imbues morals into the situation which makes me wonder do you trust in the morals of U.S. Special Operations Command, of the Department of Homeland Security, of the federal government as a whole? Do you trust in the morals of the, of the Tennessee Titans and Verizon? Do you trust in them? Do you, do you look at these attempts to hide what they're doing and ask yourself, why are you hiding? It, 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 you know, we're, we're not talking about individuals with individual rights. We're talking about public entities that are owned by those individuals, that are owned by those people, wanting to know what their entities are doing in their name. If the American people, if humans are allowed to run roughshod over the Constitution and rights simply because there's a tool, then our future is quite dystopian indeed. Now, I also want to remind you that the Constitution study is on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network, every week at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't listen then, the podcasts come a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You can listen with your favorite podcast app. I do ask that you subscribe to the show, that you'll leave us ratings and reviews so others can find us. I remind you to find all the links at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. And by sharing this information, you can help share the blessings of liberty. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You have rejoined the Constitution study. We've been talking about artificial intelligences. I want to spend this last segment talking about artificial truth. This idea that um, the, the artificial intelligences will help in this attempt to redefine the truth, to, to redefine reality. I reject your reality and substitute my own. Because let's face it, it's the definition of truth that leads to a lot of power. And if we allow others to define truth, if we allow government entities especially to define truth, well, then we're not free. 
there's a, a gentleman by the name of John Lott. Uh, does a lot of work with uh, statistics and research involving uh, firearms. And um, he basically claims that the FBI is lying to us, that, that they're misreporting how often armed citizens stop what they call active shooters. Now, uh, Mr. Lott uh, evaluated uh, FBI reports on active shooting. And um, he found that the shooter, that the FBI had missed or misidentified cases uh, regarding armed citizens stopping active shooters. Now, he was looking at data from uh, 2014 through 2022. A lot says that while the FBI claims that just 4.6% of active shootings were stopped by law-abiding citizens carrying guns, the percentage I found was 35.7%. He said, I am more confident that we've identified a higher share of recent cases, and our figure for 2022 was even higher at 41.3%. But think about that for a second. What they're talking about is active shooters. We always hear about the active shooters. And of course, as soon as there's an active shooter incident, um, which, by the way, we mean attempt at mass murder, I believe, uh, we hear calls for gun control. We got to stop the guns, get the guns out of it. And it always seems to be targeted at the law-abiding gun owner. And one of the justifications is this FBI claim that of all of these shootings, less than 5% are stopped by citizens carrying a gun. Well, when we, Lott, Mr. Lott looked at the data, he said, no, no, no. Over a third of these events are stopped by law-abiding citizens with a gun. Now, why the difference? What was different about this? Well, again, according to Mr. Lott, of the 440 active shooter incidents, again, numbered a lot smaller than often reported, um, and again, between 2014 and 2022, so we're talking seven, eight years, armed citizens stopped 157. Now, why did this happen? Well, they said uh, generally the person um, that actually stopped the event was misidentified. In, in some cases, they were identified as a security guard. But the biggest issue is differentiating between um, places where law-abiding citizens are allowed to carry firearms and where they're not allowed to carry firearms. Because, again, if you're, if you're not allowed to carry a firearm, but you have one anyway, well, you've broken the law. And they say, well, then you're not a law-abiding citizen. But here's what's interesting. According to his data, Mr. Lott says, quote, in places where law-abiding citizens are allowed to carry firearms— the percentage of active shooting that were stopped is 51%. For 2022, that figure is a remarkable 63.5%. What does it say about this push for, for a gun-free zones, which is a lie, it's a myth. It just means that it's not legal to have a gun there. It doesn't mean that there are no guns there. But if between half and almost two-thirds of these active shooters are stopped when citizens are not barred, are not legally barred from carrying firearms. Wouldn't we want more citizens carrying firearms? Now, Mr. Lott reported this information. He made the errors known to the FBI, but was dismissed, according to Real Kill Politics. Quote, the FBI data on active shooters is missing so many defensive gun uses that it's hard to believe it isn't intentional. Errors can't happen. But the failure to fix past reports shows a troubling disregard for the truth. The reality is that armed, law-abiding citizens are unsung guardian angels. What this is, again, the FBI data is an artificial truth. 
this time not generated by artificial intelligence, but just imagine you're a uh, a budding politician and you like playing with AI and you're looking to build some legislation, some sample legislation to uh, control gun safety. And you're taking this data from the FBI. You're going to come up with the wrong answer. You're going to see armed citizens not being significant impact on active shooters when the data is, when the truth is, yes, there are, they are a huge impact. If, if Mr. Uh, uh, Lot's data is correct, if between half and two-thirds of active shooters where people are not barred from owning firearms are stopped by those by citizens, that's an amazing number. Now, granted, this number came from people, but artificial intelligences are trained by people. So if we have an artificial intelligence going through this data to give us these numbers, and they've been trained by the FBI in the same erroneous uh, uh, tools, me methods that they're currently using, well then, what, what choice do we have? We're going to get artificial truth. And this artificial truth will be used to suppress your rights. I mean, artificial truth has already been used to suppress your rights. We have the artificial truth of climate change. Right? Called a lie is an artificial truth. It is based on computer models, just a different form of computer program than an AI, that have been proven wrong. They've been proven inaccurate. And I don't mean slightly. I mean grossly inaccurate. They predicted a, 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 an, an ocean-level rise of feet when it was barely inches. They predicted all sorts of calamities that never happened. But yet that artificial data is used to is being used to deprive you of a gasoline car, deprive you of a gasoline lawnmower, deprive you of a gasoline cooktop, to, to try and push you into a city, a 15-minute city, to deprive you of the use of gasoline without putting our food into it, ethanol. All of these regulations to trying to destroy, I don't mean just clean up the environment, but trying to destroy fossil fuels, to push us towards uh, quote-unquote green solutions that are destructive to the environment because of the mining involved, slave labor that's involved, the, the, the recycling and, and, and disposal that's involved. We completely ignore all that data because of this artificial in truth that we're all going to die in a few years when it's been wrong each and every time. Now, what's interesting is a, a group of scientists from around the world, over 1,600 scientists from around the world have signed a declaration saying there is no climate emergency. And they strongly oppose the harmful and unrealistic net zero CO2 policy being pushed around the globe. Okay, that's 1,600 scientists. Uh, by the way, this is put together by the Global Climate Intelligence Group. So now I have a question. Which truth is true? Is it the climate alarmists? Is it those pushing for a climate emergency? The claim that every disaster is a cause of climate change? Or is it these scientists that say, no, that, that's, that's a lie, that's a myth. So who is true? Who's right? I mean, I think we should look at the data, see who's been more accurate more often. Or as they put it in the declaration, scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real cost as well as the imagined benefit of their policy measures. But we don't. We follow this. We have everybody from Greta Thunberg to President Biden and everybody in between 
in a religious fervor following this artificial truth that has been proven wrong time and time and time again. And we're told that the science is settled, which tells me you're not believing science because science is never settled. There's always something new to learn. And because of that, your your wages have been uh, destroyed because, well, now we've had to implement all this, the things, raise the cost of of everything from from the food, the, the, the beef and dairy they don't want you to eat, to the manufacture of homes and vehicles, to make you know to making your your energy more expensive simply because of this myth, this artificial truth of global warming. These have huge impacts. And that brings me back around to my opening question. Do we really want the federal government regulating artificial intelligence? Well, before you answer that question, let me point something out. There's another artificial truth you may not be fully aware of. Now, I'm sure, you know, we we all learned how uh, bills become law. I mean, probably most of us listened to or watched Schoolhouse Rock as children. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. But what if I were to tell you that... um, that doesn't work the way that we were taught in in Schoolhouse Rock. For example, um, there are the members of Congress introduce thousands of bills each and every year. Many of them are called messaging bills, meaning the lawmakers don't actually want to pass these. They just have an issue they want to talk about. And of course, that issue always has some political component, a political preference one way or the other. And of course, you look at the title of some of these bills, and what's the easiest way to tell what an act, what a bill will do? Assume it does the opposite of the title. Remember the Inflation Reduction Act that had little, if anything, to do with it reducing inflation and everything to do with, with promoting the, the green agenda, the Green New Deal that couldn't get passed under that title? Then, of course, you've got all the, the backroom dealing with the, the negotiations, and, and I'll support your bill if you support my bill and all that. And, and all of this stuff comes out to eventually, as they say, make the sausage that turns into a piece of legislation that gets voted on often by with, with partisan control, where the, the whips of the two parties, they're called whips because their purpose is to whip their party into line, to make sure that everybody in their party votes the way the party wants them to, which kind of explains why we end up with such messy and disgusting legislation. But it also means that we, the people, are allowing our employees to be controlled not by us, but by this political party. And I come back to the question of, is government, is the federal government really the best people to regulate artificial intelligence? Most people, including most young people, do not really understand artificial intelligence. The people, the, the octogenarians in Congress most definitely do not understand artificial intelligence. Yet we want to entrust them with regulating it, with determining when and how it can be used. The very same people that created the, um, and funded, by the way, the Special Operations Command using artificial intelligence to identify disinformation in social media. The very same people, by the way, who funded the Department of Homeland Security while they bypassed the law and had secret off-the-record meetings to discuss 
misinformation and disinformation. The very same people that fund the FBI that now knowingly misrepresents uh, the, 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 the active citizens intervening in active shooter situations. Law-abiding citizens um, stopping active shooters. They're the ones you want to put in charge of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence that will help determine what is and isn't called truth. That will determine, help determine U.S. policy. That will help determine how you live your life. Is that really, are they really the best people to do this? I know it'd be just easier if we just hand it over to government and then not worry about it. But that hasn't worked so well with the FDA and the CDC when it comes to things like the COVID vaccine. Didn't work out so well with the EPA with the when, when they uh, um, with with the mining uh, uh, disaster that I was talking about uh, last week. You know where they they breached a mine and it leaked toxic water into a river, and they're still refusing to pay most of the claims against it. I'm concerned enough about artificial intelligence in the hands of of Apple and Google and Amazon that I don't run Siri on any of my devices. I will. I refuse to own. Uh, I refuse to run a Google based device. I won't run Android, and uh, I won't have an Amazon Alexa in the house. Do I really want to turn that type of of power, that type of control? over to a bunch of bureaucrats? Because let's face it, the octogenarians in Congress are not the ones that are going to be making these deals. They're not the ones that are going to be drafting the regulations. No, 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 no. What does Congress do? They say, we will now illegally regulate this industry, even though we have no power to do so, we'll come up with a way and say so, and then hand it over to a bunch of unelected bureaucrats. Taxation without representation, anyone? Artificial intelligence has the potential of being a tremendous tool. But whether that tool is used for good or evil is based on who uses it and who regulates it. And if history has taught us anything, Congress and the bureaucrats will more likely use these tools, if not initially, eventually for evil and to destroy the rights the liberties, and the blessings of the American people. Do not be fooled by these snake oil salesmen that say, we will regulate it for good. They, I've yet to see it. Everything that they've laid their hands on, eventually it becomes a bloated, corrupt, bureaucratic mess. And when it comes to something as powerful as an artificial intelligence, They've, they've proven themselves unworthy of, this, uh, of our belief that they'll be different this time. And while you think about this, remember, it was, the, it was another form of artificial intelligence that are the algorithms that social media has used to suppress information about the elections, information about the safety and efficacy of vaccines, information about your rights and your future. Do you really want to put that hands in the hands of a bunch of political bureaucrats? I mean, love artificial intelligence or hate it. 
that's a weapon we should not put in the hands of the intellectual infants in Congress and the bureaucrats in D.C. Now, if you like this episode, you know, you can find this on AmericaOutloud.news. In fact, it's a great place to go every day for other news and information, whether it's this or other podcasts, videos, stories, articles. There's all sorts of information, and I, I go there every day. It's part of my regular news reading routine. But I ask you to do something with it, just like I do. I post a lot of these articles on my social media, on my website. Please do the same. See, it's by sharing this information, by allowing people to see this other point of view, the real truth rather than the artificial truth, that we can secure our most important blessing, the blessing of liberty. Liberty.